come to bless your heart this morning, this evening, Lord. We've come to see your kingdom come. Your will be done tonight, Lord God, as we pray in spirit and in truth. We want to partner with all of heaven tonight and see your will. We've come to shake the heavens tonight, Lord. We've come to see and to pray in power and dominion, Lord. We want to shake the earth with the power of God tonight, Lord God. Would you empower us, Lord God, with words of wisdom, with power of might, Lord, to shake the heavens, Lord God. May we call your plans of your purposes into being, Lord God, tonight. Oh, Father, would you quicken our spirit, Lord? Would you quicken our spirit, Father? Give us words of freedom, words of living water. May it flow out the belly. evening I want us to worship um, you know I came thinking that I was going to preach on the walls of Nehemiah but actually God said no I really want you tonight to preach my word I really want you to preach the end time church and as I was doing my little prayer walk you know God said do you remember when we came um, back you know I, w I went away for a little while I had a real experience of, of the forgiveness of sins when I was a young child um, and not that I was, yes, I was a very rebellious child, but I had an encounter with God when I was really young, and the weight of sin lifted off me at a very young age. But unfortunately, what happened is the world began to speak louder than the church. I seemed more acceptable in the world's eyes than in the churches. I just felt like a black sheep, and so at the age of 14, I strayed away. But maybe at the age of 22, I came back, and it was quite a miraculous time, which I, I won't go into. But uh, I, I came back to the Lord, and as part of that, I went to a study course for new believers. 
And one of the things that really stood out to me, um, and I still recall it very clearly um, to this day, is the allegory of the fog in water. I don't know how many people have heard that. It's it's quite a uh, quite a common one. And as the story goes, and I must admit, I'd never tried to boil a frog. Okay, ever. I used to play with frogs as a kid. I used to torment frogs as a kid, but I'd never tried to boil one. But um, anyway, apparently, if you put a frog in boiling water, it will jump straight out. But if you put the frog in a pot of pleasantly tepid water and gradually heat it up, the frog will remain in the water until it boils to death. Unfortunately for the frog, the frog is not able to detect the gradual increase in the temperature until it's too late. And this really stuck with me. You know, I've been a Christian now a long time without giving my age away, but I have been a Christian quite a long time. And it's always stuck with me as this. Now, what I didn't realize until I looked back into this is this allegory is frequently used in economics, business, and marketing to point out that change has to be introduced gradually if it's to be successful. It also illustrates an aspect of human psychology. We tend to accept things that creep upon us slowly, but steadily, even when they take control of our lives. But one day we wake up and find ourselves in boiling water. And this is true if we take this allegory, allegory and apply it to sin. This is the way of the devil. He knows that if we blatantly do things, we will recognize it and we'll rise up against it. And so he is in it for the long game. A little change to government policy here, another change to government policy there, a little of eroding on society's morals here and there, click, click, click. That's how you actually change the status of the boat, which is another great big turn, and then it changes itself completely. And then what we do, we find is that we're backed into a corner. We're backed into a corner. And over the last few days, there have been two particular conversations that have caused me to stop and contemplate. To contemplate just how much I, in particular, have grown accustomed to walking and working in depravity, where foul language, unwholesome talk and sickness is so common that it no longer shocks me. I had two conversations and I think one was with you and you'd said to, to grandma, God, I used to look at people and, and people in engineers and they had the crutches and I'd think, God. And I'd end up conversing with somebody else and it was about bad language. And what I realised is my place of work, I've become, I've become so accustomed to it, so accustomed to it that it loses its impact somehow. And I'm not saying that I agree, obviously, just because I've, I've got, I work in a place that has very offensive language <laughs> and immoral talk um, because we, we work in the world. Um, so I'm not saying that I agree and I join in. But it's so frequent in my workplace that I'm, I'm able to block it out until it rises above a certain level 
And then that righteous indignation within me arises up and causes me to stand for what's right. And that happened to me the other week. Something at work happened. And I was just, I nearly burst into tears because it grieved my spirit so much that I actually caused me almost, I could have lost my job over it, basically. Just don't just want to be the prosecutor of being bullied. Um, you know, when we're on the streets, people we're so used to people being drunk or stoned or mentally disturbed, you know, where sickness and disability is so rampant, we, we, we get desensitized to it all. Or we can. We can. Um, and it's sad to say today we live in a culture that lures people into spiritual stupor that gradually desensitizes people to true spiritual and moral values. And Jesus warned that the time would come when, because lawlessness abounds, the love of many in the church would grow cold. That's Matthew 24, 12. He also warns through Paul that in this time, people will be so perverse as to be without even natural affection. 2 Timothy 3, 3. We live in those times. And it requires a clear vision and a steadfast conduct to avoid being sucked into the following of Christ. God has given our culture over to allowing the carnal mind to spend itself on continuous sensation-seeking stimulation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are virtually running wild. And I read this um, online and, and um, I just thought, yeah, it's just, I've become so used to living and, and it, it no longer finds it shocking. And um, some paraphrase of Romans one twenty eight changed the term reprobate mind to degrading passion seeking stimulation. Another rendered it as irrational stimulation resulting in monstrous behavior. We only have to be on the streets of Bradford to see this, don't we? You know, that the people that are absolutely stoned out of their mind, they don't want food. They don't want money for food. They want it for drugs. Without a strong resistance to this almost unrelenting pressure, such stimulation will gradually produce a stupor, an apathy, an unfeeling indifference towards the highest priorities of life. That is our relationship with God and fellow man. If a person does not defend himself against lawlessness, he will lose his God-given rights. A Christian must guard himself strongly against becoming caught up in the stupor-inducing spirit of the times, as it's Paul forewarns us. And um, I just want to read this before I go on to the points that, that really spoke to me. This spoke to me. Um, 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13. And this man who wrote, even though this comes on the heels of explaining God's long-suffering, nevertheless the end will kill sin. And it will catch the world by surprise. 1 John 2, 17, likewise tells us, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The original heavens and earth came to an end, due to God's judgment on the rebellious angels. The recreated world ended in the flood because of the judgment of the wickedness of mankind. 
seen our world will be dangerous in God's judgment, replaced by new heavens and a new earth. Revelations 21, 1 to 8, in which righteousness dwells. You know, we can look at the world and find it hard to envision a world where righteousness dwells in holy, 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 where, where sin is eradicated. Because this is a brand new thing. And because our minds are still affected by this world, even the called of God may have a hard time imagining a righteous reality. Because we have become desensitized to unrighteousness. Even though we are hopefully now directly participating in it, our minds have still adjusted to what we observe around us. To some degree, we have all adapted to the deviant perspectives of our culture. And these are not my words, but they really, really impacted me. Because I could see myself, you know, we're, we're in the world, we're not of the world. The world still um, affects us. gives a powerful description of the violence and dissolution that lies just ahead, adding tremendous gravity to his eventual question. All that we recognize of this world will be burnt up. The ungodly will perish. The things that we see on a daily basis will dissolve. The cultures, the cities, the systems that man has developed. With this fire end in mind, Peter asks, what manner of persons ought we be in holy conduct and godliness? This world is passing away, and everything that is part of this world is of limited duration and meaning. What matters are those things that relate to holiness, godliness, and the next world. All the rest will disappear. When Christ returns, our response to God throughout our lives will matter. Our house, our car, and other physical accoutrements will not. The quality of our relationship with others will matter. Our popularity will not. You know, I, I, um, I've been stoned and mocked for the way that I brought my children up and um, because I wouldn't let them sleep with their partner, you know, their boyfriends. Um, and I wouldn't let my nephew do the same in my house because he lived with us. And they used to tease me, something shocking. That's happened to you. Um, but before God, I couldn't allow it. Because our character matters. It will matter. The trivia and the fickleness of the culture will not. The reflection of God in our lives and our example of his eternal life will matter. But the glitz and the glamour of this world are just so much smoke waiting to dissipate. Through God's spirit, we have been given the discernment to evaluate what will matter when Christ returns and what is simply vanity and grasping for the wind. As Christ suffers long with us, in our whole heart focus on the repenting that we still need to do? Or are we among those walking according to our lusts? Are we putting far off the day of doom, as Amos says in Amos 6.3? 
because much of this world does not seem too bad to us? Or are we earnestly longing for Christ's return, fervently praying, your kingdom come? So that is what I read, and it really impacted me because it helped me to weigh up where I am, where my heart is. Um, and the two things that I want to pull out of this for tonight is this. Number one, when sin and unrighteousness, unrighteousness is buried and we liken the process to that of being boiled alive like the frog or our hearts going cold, what we must recognize is that this is a process, not a single event. The word growing is usually a long, slow process that if we are not careful can be so gradual that we can become totally unaware of it. Because when the devil, he, he like, he's very subtle. He's very good at what he does. And if he says, do this or do that, and you know it to be wrong, you would just say, no, be gone in the name of Jesus. But he has a way of the little things, the little things. It's like the dipping tap, isn't it? Dipping tap, just dip, dip, dip. It's a small thing, but it's persistent. Um, when we allow repeated sin to go on unchecked in our lives, we become desensitized to its destructive powers. And not only that, we tolerate more and more. Dip, dip, dip. Until we get to the point when we feel hopeless to do anything about it. It sears our conscience and our zeal for the Lord, God, diminishes. We need to keep short accounts because God is desiring a pure and spotless bride. We need to realize that each and every one of us, when we are in Christ, are powerful and important, and every one of us can make a difference to the kingdom of God. He is looking for an army that will fight on its knees, that will walk in righteousness, and seek a deep relationship with him. An army that will seek and desire the more of God. An army that will walk in power and dominion. An army that will heal the sick, cast out demons, and preach the gospel. Number two. When the world comes into the church and we compromise on little things, it's not long before we are compromising on the bigger issues. We only have to look at the wider church to know this is true. When we water down our gospel and lower our standards and tolerate that woman Jezebel within our midst, we are on the road that leads to destruction. The world is trying to impose its standards on the church and fear can paralyze the church from standing up for what is right. I believe over the last few decades, the church in Britain has been so inward focused it has forgotten its true purpose. And the one liner that God really spoke to me today said, if we look like the world, then we stop being the light of the world. What hope do we offer if we do not walk in freedom? So we need to pray this evening that the church not only walks in the freedom, but as a healthy fear of the Lord. That we first and foremost desire to please the Lord before we seek to please man. The book of Revelation tells us that church will be judged 
And so it is my heart tonight to intercede for her so that she may be able to bring in the end time harvest. We are in the world, but not of the world. You know, Danny, t Danny and Jesso, they came into the UK and they saw it from a different perspective. They had fresh eyes to see because they'd not been so accustomed to what's going on in the UK. And I suppose if we went over to South Africa, we'd see it for the first time with fresh eyes. So we need to ask God for new eyes or fresh eyes to see the real need of the people around us and to pray for, pray for keys that unlock the chains that bind. So it's not, I'm not doing the church down because um, I believe that we need to be the true bride. We need to walk in the full calling that God has called and wants his, created his bride to be. Because if we don't, we will not impact and bring in the full harvest that God has for us. So my heart is not to condemn the church, but actually to say, come on, come on, wake up, wake up. We need spiritual eyes here. We need to walk in his power and his dominion. You know, it, it, it's here, isn't it? it? It's here. And if we get desensitized and we, we lose the, the feeling of urgency to pray, then we don't tip the scales. We don't, tip, we don't push back the darkness. Lives are not changed. People are not healed. People are not saved. Thankfully, we are a praying church. We've got amazing examples in Pastor Lily and Pastor Abe and South Africa. So we need to speak out the word of God. We need to prophesy over Bradford. And we need to expect the supernatural. We need to make sure we have short accounts with the Lord and ask God for the more of God that we walk in our calling, that we work in power and dominion, that we are able to set through his power, his power, not ours, through the flowing and outworking of the Holy Spirit, that we need to say to the lame, get up and walk. For the, the blind to see, for the deaf ears to hear. Um, it is that outward manifestation that said, hey, our God is real, and he can do what he says in his word. His promises are true and amen. Let me tell you about a man, the woman at the well. She changed her time because she said, let me tell you about a man that I know. Because that is relationship. When I go on the streets, I say, let me tell you about a man that I know. So we need to make sure that we know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's calling us into that deeper walk with him because out of that deeper walk, rivers of living water are going to flow. And salvation and f the favor of the Lord is ours for this season. So Father, as we stand and we pray, I ask Lord God that you would heal the land but, Father, would you heal your church? Would you heal your church? May she be that spotless bride 
Father, that you would just quicken our spirits, Lord God, that you would call us to bend down our knees in, in repentance, Lord. Father God, that you want that spotless bride that walks in power and dominion and holiness and righteousness, Lord God. Father, that may we have that fear of you, Lord God, not a fear that quakes, but that, that that's, is in walking in reverence, that you are holy and you call us to be holy. And it doesn't matter if the world ridicules us because we were created to be in relationship with you. And you need to be our first love. So where you are not our first love, Lord, I ask, Lord God, that you will put that <coughs> in our hearts right, Lord, right now. Where there is idolatry in our hearts, Lord, may you tear it down. That you would give us fresh eyes to see. That you would quicken our hearts. Would you give us that gift of repentance? Would you give us that gift of conviction? Where we're proud, we tear that spirit of pride down right now in the name of Jesus. We bind it. We cast it off our lives in the name of Jesus. You're looking for humble, humble disciples. Father God, may we know you as, may we know you, truly know you. You are the Lord of Lords. You are the King of Kings. You are the lover of our, an author and perfecter of our faith, Lord God. You say that you never leave us or forsake us, so we know that we can trust you with all of our lives. Oh, Father God, would you do something, something in each and every one of us. May we go from one degree of glory to another, Lord God. Oh, Father, would you quicken us, Lord? Would you quicken us? Would you quicken us, Father God? May we keep short accounts, Lord God. Would you wash us with your blood? May you make us holy, Lord God. Put a holy zeal and a fire in our belly, Lord God, that would change us forever, Lord God, that we would go out as your disciples, Father, to make, make us hungry, to make a difference, Lord. Would you empower this end-time church with holiness, but with power and dominion, Lord God, because you say all of the gifts that are ours, Lord God, that are ours for the taking, Lord God. Oh, Father, would you empower us, Lord God, with Father, that the leaf would dance, that the lame would dance and stand up and walk. Would you hit the dead may hear and the blind may see, Lord God? May the in-time harvest start crushing in, Lord God. Oh, Father, we pray for favor on the streets of Bradford. Holy Spirit, would you hover, Father God? Would you hover, Father God? Would you give the gift of repentance, conviction, repentance? Holy Spirit, would you reveal Jesus to the city of Bradford, Lord God? Oh, Father, would you hover over Holy Spirit? Would you hover over Bradford? May your spirit fall on Bradford. May your Shekinah glory and presence fall on Bradford, Lord God. Where we have become desensitized to sin, Lord God. Oh, Father, when we shake 
of apathy. Oh, Lord, God, would you awaken us, Lord God? Would you awaken us, Father? Would you awaken us that you would make us fall on our knees and actually shake heaven, shake heaven, Lord? Oh, Father God, oh, Father God, we're just coming to you now with all our praise and our petition for ourselves and for your bride, Lord, tonight. Oh, Father God, would you place the fire of God in the churches in Bradford and in the UK? Oh, Father, would you burn away the dross and the apathy where your church has gone to sleep? Would you wake it up? Would you blow through the churches of Bradford, blowing the cobwebs away, Father God? to come. I encourage you to come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father.